And good afternoon. You're listening to Ken Hudnall. This is the Ken Hudnall Show. Coming to you from our studios right here in exciting El Paso, Texas. Gateway to the Old West and the most haunted city in the country. Well, today's March 22nd. 81st day of the year. 284 days remain to the year's over with. And in the holidays, today is as young as you feel day. Bavarian Crepes Day. National Goof Off Day. Hey, that's a say that's every day in Congress. World Water Day. Gryffindor Pride Day. March Madness, National Introverts Week. Ramadan. It's um Actually, Wednesday, March 22nd through Thursday, April 20th is Ramadan, and it's National Women's History Month. All right, all that having been said, let's... All right, at 106 was the start of the Bastrian era, calendar of the province of Arabia, Petraea. 235, Roman Emperor... Severus, Alexander's murdered, marking the start of the crisis of the 3rd century. 871, Athered of Wussex is defeated by a Danish invasion army at the Battle of the Martin. 1185, Battle of Shima. Japanese forces of the Taira clan are defeated by the Inamoto clan. 1312, Vox in Excelso, Pope Clement V dissolves the Order of the Knights Templar. Uh, see, Philip the Fair, who was King of France, during one of the many uprisings in Paris, took refuge with the Templars, and he saw their treasure room, which was full of money and gold and what have you, and he was always in debt. So he wanted to dissolve the Templars so he could claim their treasure. Well, the Pope wouldn't do it. So he had the Pope executed. It was an assassin, apparently. And Clement V was always known as Philip the Fair's man. And he dissolved the order of the Knights Templar. And they were tried for heresy and everything else that Philip could think of. The Templars had a fleet which was uh, based at New Rochelle. And the day that he went to seize the ter- treasury, it was empty. And the fleet had vanished. That treasure has never been found. 1508, Ferdinand II of Aragon commissions Amerigo Vespucci, chief navigator of the Spanish Empire. 1621, the Pilgrims of Plymouth Colony signed a peace treaty with Massoet of the Wampanoags. 1622, Jamestown Massacre. Algonquins killed 347 English settlers around Jamestown, Virginia, a third of the colony's population during the Second Anglo-Powhatan War. 1631, Massachusetts Bay Colony outlaws the possession of cards and dice and gaming tables because God wanted them removed. 1638, Anne Hutchinson is expelled from Massachusetts Bay Colony for Religious dissent. You don't believe the way we say believe? Out of here. 1739, Nader Shah occupies Delhi and in India and sacks the city. 
steals the jewels out of the Peacock throne. 1765, the British Parliament passes the Stamp Act that introduces a tax to be levied directly on its American colonies. Yeah, it was one of the main things that led to the revolution. 1784, the Emerald Buddha's move with great ceremony to its current location in uh, Wat Bra Kru in Thailand. 1794, the Slave Trade Act of 1794 bans the export of slaves from the U.S. and prohibits American citizens from outfitting a ship for the purpose of importing slaves. 1829, in the London Protocol, the Three protecting powers, UK, France, and Russia, established the borders of Greece. 1849, the Austrians defeat the Piedmontese at the Battle of Navarra. 1871, in North Carolina, William Woods Holden becomes the first governor of a U.S. state to be removed from office by impeachment. 18, part of the problem is, and we've got some of that today, people get elected, they think they are royalty. Our current uh, congresswoman here, who was a friend of mine for 20 years before she got elected, uh, suddenly doesn't have time for the, the little people and doesn't have time for the problems of disabled veterans because she has to take care of a, uh, undocumented immigrants. And if you're not an undocumented immigrant, in her mind, screw you. Uh, 1873, the Spanish National Assembly abolishes slavery in Puerto Rico. 1894, the Stanley Cup ice hockey competition is held for the first time in Montreal, Canada. 1895, before the Société pour l'encouragement à l'industrie, brothers Auguste and Louis uh, Lumiere demonstrate movie film technology publicly for the first time. 1896, Charles Vasilakos wins the first modern Olympic marathon race with a time of 3 hours and 18 minutes. 1906, the first England versus France rugby union match is played in Parc des Princes in Paris. 1913, Mystic Phan Dick Long, the self-proclaimed emperor of Vietnam, is arrested for organizing a revolt against the colonial rule of French Indochina, which was nevertheless carried out by his supporters the next day. 1916, Juan Shikai abdicates as emperor of China, restoring the republic, returning to the presidency. 1920, Azeri and Turkish army soldiers with participation of Kurdish gangs attacked the Armenian inhabitants of Sushi. That's the Nagomo uh, Karabakh. 1933, Coleman Harrison Act, President Roosevelt signs an amendment to the Volstead Act legalizing the manufacture and sale of 3.2 beer. That's 3.2 alcohol by weight, approximately 4% alcohol by volume in light wines. 1933, Nazi Germany opens its first concentration camp, Dachau. 1934, the first Masters tournaments held at Augusta National Golf Club in Georgia. 1939, Germany takes Bemel from Lithuania. 1942, in the Mediterranean Sea, the Royal Navy confronts Italy's Regia Marina in the Second Battle of Serta. 1943, the entire village of Katyan, which is in the present-day Republic of Belarus, is burned alive by uh, SS Battalion 118. It's called the Schultzmannschaft Battalion. Uh, 1945, 
in the city of Hildesheim, Germany, is heavily damaged in a British air raid, though it had little military significance, and Germany was on the verge of a final defeat. In 1945, the Arab League is founded when the charters adopted in Cairo, Egypt. In 1946, the UK grants full independence to Transjordan. 1960, Arthur Leonard Shackle and Charles Hard Towns get the first patent for a laser. 1963, the Beatles released their debut album, Please Please Me. Uh, 1972, the United States Congress sends the Equal Rights Amendment to the states for ratification. Also in 72, the Eisenstadt versus Baird, the U.S. Supreme Court decides that unmarried people have the right to possess contraceptives. Oh my God, the religious right went nuts. Just like the left goes nuts today if you mention religion. 1975, a fire at the Browns Ferry. Uh, nuclear power plant in Decatur, Alabama causes a dangerous reduction in cooling water levels. 1978, Carla Linda of the Flying Lindas dies after falling off a tightrope suspended between two hotels in San Juan, Puerto Rico. And I can tell you, having gone from a great height, flapping your arms doesn't do much. 1982, NASA Space Shuttle Columbia is launched for the Kennedy Space Center in its third mission, STS-3. 1988, Congress votes to override President Reagan's veto of the Civil Rights Restoration Act in 1987. 1992, U.S. Air Flight 405 crashes shortly after takeoff from New York City's LaGuardia Airport, leading to a number of studies into the effect that ICE has on aircraft. You could have saved all that money by just understanding ICE has weight. It affects the aerodynamic ability of the plane. You don't need a multi-million dollar study with 87 different experts to come up with that. 1992, followed the communism in Albania. The Democratic Party of Albania wins a decisive majority in a parliamentary election. 1993, the Intel Corporation ships the first Pentium chips featuring a 60 megahertz clock speed, 100 uh, MIPS, and a 64-bit data path. I had one of those. Fast little computer. 1995, cosmonaut Valery Polyako returns to Earth after setting a record of 438 days in space. He did not see the USS Enterprise orbiting the planet. 1997, Tara Lipinski, 14 years and 9 months, becomes the youngest woman uh, world figure skating champion. 1997, Comet Hale-Bopp reaches as close as close to Earth at 1.315 astronomical units. 2004, Ahmed Yassin, co-founder and leader of the Palestinian Sunni Islamic group Hamas, two bodyguards and nine civilian bystanders are killed in the Gaza Strip when they're hit by the Israeli Air Force Hellfire missiles. 2006, three Christian peacemaker team hostages are freed by British forces in the Baghdad, after 118 days of captivity and the murder of their colleague from the U.S., Tom Fox. See, the problem with groups like this, the Peacemaker team, they think prayer is going to sway the other side. And they go in to make peace. And they get their heads handed to them and don't understand why.
2013, at least 37 people were killed and 200 are injured after a fire destroys a camp containing Burmese refugees near Ban Mai in Thailand. 2016, three suicide bombers killed 32 and injured 316 in uh, 2016 uh, Brussels bombing at the airport and at the uh, Malbec, uh, Malbec metro station. 2017, a terrorist attack in London near the Houses of Parliament. At least four dead and 20 injured. Also on the same date in 2017, Syrian civil war. 500 members of the Syrian Democratic Forces are airlifted south of the Euphrates by uh, U.S. Air Force helicopters beginning the Battle of Topka. 2019, a special counsel investigation of the 2016 U.S. presidential election concludes in, uh, when Robert Mueller submits his reports to the United States Attorney General. After millions of dollars spent, inconclusive, and certainly Trump was not um, a Russian agent. 2019 also saw two buses crash in Katampo, a town north of Ghana's capital, Accra, kills at least 50. 2020, Indian Prime Minister Narendra Modi announces the country's largest ever self-imposed curfew in an effort to fight the uh, spread of COVID-19. 2020, Prime, Greek Prime Minister Kyriakos Mitsotakis announces a national lockdown, the country's first ever self-imposed curfew, also in a fruitless effort to fight COVID-19. 2021, Ten people are killed in a mass shooting in Boulder, Colorado. Well, you know, there's a lot of um, confusion about um, the causes of COVID. Right now, we've got our own government of the opinion it was, in fact, leaked from a lab. And, of course, the left screams and gnashes their teeth and stomps on their hankies and how dare we think the wonderful communist would do anything like that and my philosophy is if you are so supportive of the wonderful communist please go join them all right let's talk about the staircase of death it's the uh, Kathleen Peterson murder now, there are differing opinions about this uh, death. Could have been a murder. Could have been an accident. Could have been a bizarre bird strike. Whatever may have been the cause, the fate of successful businesswoman Kathleen Peterson whipped up a storm of bitter controversy and wild theorizing that is still going on today. Now, keep in mind that when a married woman dies, police look immediately at the husband. I don't care if he was on the other side of the planet, they look at the husband. And it doesn't make any difference what the facts are. Because every police force has Keystone cops assigned to murder cases. The, uh, 
Hell, I, we had somebody break into my wife's car in the front yard. Caught on video camera, no less. And the Keystone Cops we have here, we can't figure out who he is. I said, how about uh, the software that lets you identify people's faces? We don't know who has that. How about the tag on their car? Can you trace that? Well, you know, we can't tell what the last digit is, so no, we can't trace it. And no matter what suggestion I made, it didn't make any difference. My suspicion is the investigating officer knew the individual in the video. You know, the, the, part of the problem is the theory of relativity applies to criminal investigations, especially in this town. Now, to the outside world, the Petersons had everything. A beautiful home, a successful marriage, successful careers. Kathleen Peterson got earned a six-figure salary of the telecommunications company. Her husband, Michael, was a full-time novelist. Now, this... Public image was shattered when December 9, 2001, she was found dead at the bottom of a staircase in the couple's North Carolina home. Investigation that followed uncovered lies and adultery and financial problems and another death at the bottom of a different staircase. It also led to Michael Peterson's eventual conviction, although some believe that there are other explanations for her death. Now, she was 48 and he was 58. Both had been married before when they met in the mid-1980s. And their meeting was facilitated by their children, who were also friends. Kathleen had a teenage daughter named Caitlin Atwater, and Michael had two sons, Clayton and Todd, from his first marriage, and two adopted daughters named uh, Margaret and Martha. Well, in 1992, this uh, Brady-Bunt-style Brady um, merge family moved into a sprawling 14-room house on Cedar Street in Durham, North Carolina. Five years later, Michael and Kathleen Peterson exchanged vows and making, making their union official. Caitlin described them as the most ideal parents. Now, after moving into the Cedar Street home, Michael Peterson started writing columns on city politics for the local newspaper. The Herald Sun. His increased public profile prompted him to run for mayor. That bid ended badly following revelations he had exaggerated his military record. He claimed he was awarded the Purple Heart for being wounded by shrapnel in Vietnam. In reality, he was awarded the medal after he'd been hurt in a car accident. Now, despite this embarrassing revelation, Peterson uh, still hoped to enter the political arena. 2001, a few months before Kathleen's death, he ran for city council and lost again. When officials moved so quickly to charge him with his wife's murder, he wondered if a local politics had anything to do with it. And certainly you cannot rule that out. Early hours of December 9th, Michael Peterson frantically called 911. He said, my wife's had an accident. She's still breathing. Fell down the stairs. Still, She's still breathing. Please come. Um, police and medics arrived to be greeted by Peterson in shorts and a t-shirt. 
Said he'd spent three hours by the pool that night, despite the temperature outside being about 55. Now, Kathleen was lying in a pool of blood at the bottom of the stairs. Blood spatter climbed the walls and reached the ceiling. She's wearing sweatpants and a sweatshirt, appropriate clothing for the outside temperature. There appeared to be a shoe print and the blood on the back of Kathleen's, um, sweatshirt. Peterson was barefoot when the police arrived. His trainers and socks were found next to Kathleen's body. Autopsy found that Kathleen's head had been sliced open in places. Medical examiner determined she died at the results of a beating, not from a fall down the stairs. And in addition, a drop of blood was found on the inside of Peterson's shorts. That's an embarrassing revelation. Peterson insisted he was innocent. He said that he and Kathleen had been drinking champagne to celebrate a possible movie deal for one of his novels, and she had also taken a Valium. He could only surmise the combination of the drug with the alcohol made her unsteady on her flip-flop-clad feet, causing her to tumble down the wooden staircase. He said he'd been relaxing by the pool too far away to hear any screams from the house. He said, I've whispered her name more than a thousand times, and I can't stop crying. I'd never done anything to hurt her, he told reporters outside the Durham County Jail. Well, investigators did find alcohol in Kathleen's system, but her blood alcohol content was only 0.07, below the legal limit to drive in North Carolina. They also learned that Kathleen had suffered from headaches and dizziness for weeks before her fall, and had even lost her vision for half an hour at one point. Nevertheless, they claimed to found too much evidence that pointed to Michael as the culprit including another dead body. Sixteen years before Kathleen was found dead, a 43-year-old woman named Elizabeth Ratliff died in a similar fashion. She was an American working as a teacher at an air base near Frankfurt, Germany, and she was a friend of Peterson's who lived in Germany for a spell with his first wife and two sons. On November 25, 1985, Ratliff died after falling down the stairs. And as in Kathleen's case, there was a lot of blood at the scene. According to her friend, Cheryl Apple Schumacher, there was blood all the way up the staircase. She knew because she helped clean it up. Authorities had accepted that the death was an accident and that Elizabeth suffered a brain hemorrhage while climbing the stairs. Michael helped organize Elizabeth's funeral and subsequently adopted her daughters. Well, when North Carolina prosecutors heard of Michael's proximity to another staircase-related death, they announced that the similarities were too many to be coincidental. They believed the circumstances of Elizabeth Ratliff's death were, had given Michael Peterson the idea of how to murder his own wife and get away with it. According to um, detectives, there were two cases, two women that appeared to, to die the same way, two women that are, so, are associated with Michael Peterson. Lightning doesn't strike the same place twice. Actually, it does, but that's neither here nor there. Elizabeth's body was exhumed in Texas. The medical examiner from North Carolina performed a new autopsy. Her verdict, Elizabeth had been beaten to death, and the German authorities had overlooked the evidence. Jim Harden, a district attorney who prosecuted Peterson, did a great deal of research into the aspects, uh, into the suspect, a lot of which was uh, severely damning. The couple had $143,000 in credit card debt, nearly equal to Kathleen's annual salary. Kathleen had confided to her sister Candace that her company's stock was in free fall and she lost a million dollars on paper. In addition, Kathleen was insured for $1.4 million, which Mike would pocket if her death was accidental. 
Harden argued that some would solve Michael's financial problems and allow him to continue to live the affluent, privileged life to which he'd become accustomed. And there was another revelation that uh, prosecutors offered as the most likely murder motive. Peterson had a cache of gay pornography on his computer and been emailing men for sex. One of them, uh, Brent uh, Wolgamont, uh, said he'd uh, charged men 150 an hour to do anything under the sun, testified he'd exchanged about 20 emails with Peterson and talked to him on the phone between August 30th and September 5th in 2001. Wolgamont had planned to meet Peterson, however, the meeting never took place, and he never heard from him again. Wolgamont also testified Peterson made it clear he was committed to his wife. If it's an idyllic relationship in this marriage, why is he sending somebody else to meet for sexual relations outside the marriage? It was a question asked by Assistant District Attorney David Sachs. State computer experts determined that somebody deleted hundreds of gay pornography files in the days leading up to Kathleen's death and the day after she died. Sachs suggested Kathleen could have found the pornographic photos and or the sexual listening emails on Peterson's computer and confronted him, which would have been a possible motive for the murder. Well, Durham County DA James Harden Jr. pointed to the abundance of blood at the scene as proof Peterson was lying about Kathleen's fate. During the 2003 trial, the prosecutor called to testify uh, Dwayne Deaver, State Bureau of Identification agent, deemed by Judge Orlando Hudson to be an expert in blood spatter evidence. Deaver told jurors he'd conducted a series of experiments to, that pointed away from Kathleen having accidentally fallen and toward a beating. Peterson's lawyers prevented their own, uh, presented their own blood spatter expert, Dr. Henry Lee, the medical examiner in the infamous O.J. Simpson murder case, who asserted that the blood in the stairwell was, in fact, consistent with the fall. Once Kathleen had hit her head, she got a coughed up blood and had a coughing fit and propelled blood spatter up the stairwell walls. He insisted that the amount of blood spatter precluded a beating. Now, no murder weapon was ever found at the scene, but the prosecutor offered one anyway. Kathleen's sister Candace had given Kathleen a fireplace uh, blow poke. That's a hollow type of poker that can be blown through like a bellows as a Christmas gift in 1984. According to pathologist Dr. Deborah Radish, the 40-millimeter brass tool was the perfect instrument for inflicting the lacerations found on Kathleen's scalp. The blowpoke was found covered with dead insects and cobwebs in the garage during the trial. Subsequent forensic tests ruled out the blowpoke as the murder weapon, and no other potential weapon has ever been uh, suggested. October 10, 2003, jurors sided with the prosecution. Michael Peterson was sentenced to life in prison without the possibility of parole. His adopted daughters, whose mother's death had been used to prove Peterson's guilt, sobbed in the courtroom. They were certain he was innocent. Kathleen's family, including her daughter Caitlin, who after hearing all the evidence had split with her siblings and believing Peterson was guilty, applauded the conviction. She and her biological father were awarded the $1.4 million life insurance policy of which Michael Peterson had been the original beneficiary. The Peterson's lawyers kept fighting. Throughout the investigation, they had cooperated with a film crew who produced The, the Staircase, a groundbreaking French television documentary directed by Oscar winner Jean-Xavier de Lestrade in 2004 that generated worldwide interest in the case. 
Two days after the conviction, his legal team started the appeal process, arguing the evidence connected with Elizabeth Ratliff's death should never have been admitted. They challenged Dwayne Deaver's testimony and qualifications, arguing he'd exaggerated his credentials during the trial. Their ob objections, uh, unfortunately, fell on deaf ears till 2011 when Deaver was fired from the SBI for failing to report blood test results that helped lead to the wrongful murder conviction of an innocent man named Greg Taylor, who's spent almost 17 years in prison as a result. An audit found that over Deaver's 25-year career, he'd falsified evidence in 34 separate cases. Well, Paulette Sutton, a nationally recognized expert in blood pattern analysis, testified Deaver's methods were antiquated and unscientific. According to an Associated Press story, she chuckled as she watched videos of Deaver beating a styrofoam head and blood-soaked sponge in an attempt to recreate the blood spatters found on uh, Peterson's shoes and in the stairwell. Sutton's testimony helped overturn Peterson's conviction. And in 2011, Judge Hudson ruled that Deaver had misled the jurors and that Peterson would get a new trial. Well, Peterson spent eight years in prison proclaiming his innocence. Prosecutors, of course, continued to insist he was guilty. In 2017, facing the prospect of a trial at 73 years old, Peterson uh, entered an Alfred plea to a manslaughter charge. The Alfred plea allowed Mike... Uh, Michael to maintain his innocence while acknowledging there was enough evidence to convict him. Plea was treated as a guilty plea for sentencing purposes, but uh, Peterson received less than the eight years he originally served. That meant he could walk away a free man. Peterson said taking the Alfred plea was the most difficult thing he'd ever done, but he believed police and prosecutors do anything they could to convict him. I'm not going to put my life and my freedom in their hands. Prosecutors considered the plea a win. Durham District Attorney Roger Eccles added, uh, It's always been remains today the state's position that Michael Peterson is responsible for the death of Kathleen Peterson. Well, the Staircase documentary unwittingly recruited armchair detectives worldwide to offer theories explaining what could have happened to Kathleen Peterson that night. In fact, I saw an identical show on CSI where the... Uh, the victim was actually killed by her daughter with a golf club. Most armchair detectives are split between the two scenarios presented at trial. Either Peterson killed his wife or she fell in a manner that caused multiple injuries to her head. In addition, there's speculation Kathleen could have interrupted an intruder who attacked her before running. 2003, Larry Pollard, a friend of Peterson's, asked prosecutors to reopen the case because of information that pointed to another culprit altogether. An owl. Looking at autopsy photos, Pollard said that some of the gashes on Kathleen's body looked like marks from an owl's exceptionally sharp talons. He uh, consulted with ornithologist exper ornithological experts who agreed the pattern and shape of the cuts on Kathleen's head looked far more like the results of an owl attack than a fireplace tool. And the species of owl put forward on Kathleen's potential attacker was a barred owl. An adult bird weighs 1.6 pounds, has a wingspan of up to uh, 3 feet 8 inches. Durham County D.A. Harden dismissed the theory as completely ridiculous, but owl attacks are not as outlandish as uh, they would seem. Kate Davis, executive director of a wild bird education organization in Florence, Italy, had uh, said raptors are known to get aggressive when defending their nests and hatchlings. They tend to attack at night. 
Peterson's 911 call was made at uh, 2.40 a.m. Kathleen was holding uh, clumps of her own hair mixed with uh, wood splinters and needles from a cedar tree. Could an owl have become entangled in her hair? She could have been attacked outside by the owl and staggered into the house and collapsed at the foot of the stairs. Well, when the SBI eventually acknowledged finding a microscopic feather in a clump of hair on Kathleen's hand, Pollard shouted, The feather has been found! Following Peterson's Alfred plea agreement, though the owl theory would never have its day in court, Peterson himself has said these run out of theories. only thing I know positively is that I had nothing to do with Kathleen's death. 2007, uh, Caitlin Atwater and Michael Peterson uh, settled a wrongful death suit for $25 million. It's unlikely Peterson would ever pay, be able to pay that uh, such a large sum. Caitlin said the suit helped to remove to ensure that Peterson would not profit by writing a book about the case because anything he made as a result of writing about the case would, of course, go to her under this judgment. The problem is, just like in the O.J. case, so much publicity that there's no way a jury was going to find him not culpable. Well, from the potential owl attack, let's go to... uh, what was known as the Long Island Murders. You know, dense marshland alongside Long Island's uh, Ocean Parkway uh, adds to the beauty and desolation stretch of this beach highway. was here, hidden away from the eyes of passing drivers that a serial killer disposed of his victims. Over the course of almost uh, 20 years, the Long Island serial killer, or the also known as the Gilgo Beach Killer, uh, murdered between 10 and 16 women associated with prostitution. The identity of the killer and his motives have perplexed homicide detectives ever since the, the first victim was discovered in December of 2010. It's led to one of the most infamous unidentified serial killer cases in recent history. Now, this story began to unfold May 1st of 2010 when uh, Shannon Gilbert, a 24-year-old Craigslist escort from New Jersey, vanished. Before her disappearance, she had visited the home of Joseph Brewer, resident of the upmarket gated community of Oak Beach, who'd hired Shannon to... um, as his escort for the evening. Brewer later told police after arriving at his home, Shannon began to act erratically and appear disoriented before running out into the warm night. She ran straight past her pimp, Michael Pack, who was waiting for her outside in his black Ford Explorer. Several natives, uh, neighbors saw and heard her that night, ran down the, the street of expensive houses, banging on doors and screaming for help. Well, as you might guess... Despite her evident distress, nobody would let her in. Instead, they called 911 and watched as she ran away from the Oak Beach Gatehouse uh, toward uh, Anchor Way and then onto the bayou, completely out of sight. Her behavior led many to believe she was on drugs or experiencing some kind of psychotic episode. At some point uh, during her escape, she managed to call 911 and scream, They're trying to kill me. 
Well, who she was running from is still a mystery. December, seven months after she disappeared, a police dog on a training exercise led his handlers to the first of what turned out to be four bodies wrapped in burlap sacks distributed in the brush running alongside Ocean Parkway on Gilgo Beach. Richard Dormer, commissioner of the Suffolk County Police Department, commented it looked like a car pulled up on the side of the roadway and dumped them in the bushes. Because the bodies had suffered different degrees of decomposition, commissioner concluded it doesn't look like they were dumped at the same time. A couple of them were there for a year, maybe a year and a half, and or maybe even two years. They're not recent. As news of these discoveries circulated in the media, investigators presumed that one of the bodies would prove to be that of Shannon Gilbert, as this particular dump site was just three miles from where she had last been seen. But amazingly enough, this was not the case. Victims are identified as Amber Lynn Costello, 27, Melissa Bartholome, 24, Maureen Brainerd Barnes, 25, and Megan Waterman, who was just 22. Like Shannon, awful woman, had been working as Craigslist escorts when they disappeared. Maureen went missing uh, July 2007 when she left Norwich, Connecticut for New York City. Melissa vanished July 2009 after meeting an escort client. Megan disappeared just a month after Gilbert, having placed a Craigslist advertisement. Amber vanished in September 2010 after arranging a meet a client who offered $1,500 for her services in an effort to uh, help capture the killer. An online uh, petition asked the authorities to grant immunity to sex workers who came forward with information. It became clear that a serial killer's dumping ground had been discovered in April 2011, four months after the bodies had been found. An extensive search for other victims was finally launched. Aircraft fitted with high-tech photographic equipment scoured the area while police with horses and dogs explored the undergrowth alongside the highway and the beach. Search led to the discovery of six more victims about a mile east of the initial four bodies. Four more women, a non-Caucasian female child aged between 16 and 24 months, and an Asian man wearing women's clothing. Of uh, these victims, only one has ever been identified, 20-year-old Jessica Taylor. She vanished in July 2003 while working as an escort in Manhattan. Shortly after her disappearance, her dismembered torso had been found in Manor, uh, Main, one more time, Manorville, New York, about uh, 40 miles east of Gilgo Beach. Her skull, hands, and a forearm were subsequently discovered during the search of Gilgo Beach itself. The remains of another victim, known only as Jane Doe No. 6, were also found at Manorville and Gilgo Beach. While the police were unable to identify the remains, forensic experts did determine that none belonged to Shannon Gilbert. In uh, December 2011, an extended search turned up Shannon Gilbert's purse, mobile phone, lump gloss, jeans, and a shoes in a marsh near Oak Beach, several miles to the east of the second group of bodies. Following this discovery, the search for Shannon intensified dozens of officers using machetes and a bulldozer were called to the scene, and on December 13th, the remains of Shannon Gilbert were initially discovered in the same shallow marsh near where she had last been seen alive. Police announced they believed Gilbert had drowned in the marsh, and her death wasn't connected to the other murders, despite the fact she was found in the same vicinity and fit the victim profile. Your family was furious with this conclusion, lambasted this premature and inconsiderate uh, theory. In fact, before Gilbert's body had ever been found, Commissioner Dormer publicly announced he believed Gilbert had wandered off and accidentally drowned. 
According to Mary Gilbert, Shannon's mother, I think Dormer just wants to find the remains, say she drowned, and close the case before he retires. That's why I've said every police agency has its share of Keystone cops. The investigation also drew uh, criticism from some of the victims' families who accused officers of incompetence and inaction. Some even hired their own private investigators. Shannon's family hired Michael Baden, a forensic pathologist, in order to obtain a second opinion on her autopsy. According to Baden, there is absolutely no evidence that Shannon died of natural causes, a drug overdose, or uh, as the Suffolk County Police believed, by drowning. He observed there was insufficient information to determine the definite cause of death, but found that the hyoid bone in Shannon's neck was deformed, which could have been caused by strangulation. These structures, the links and the hyoid bone, are often fractured during homicidal manual strangulation, according to Baden. Since the discovery of the bodies, theories have abounded. Some have speculated the killer was a seasonal worker, a drifter, or a fisherman from Freeport. More lurid theories have also been put forward that the killer was making snuff films or belonged to a satanic cult. That's always a theory that pops up whenever you have a serial killer. Another hypothesis involved a local businessman who died by suicide days after Shannon's remains were found. Police were quick to deny he was a suspect. He was merely a victim of rumor and hearsay. Another theory is that the killer was a police officer, an ex-police officer with extensive knowledge of law enforcement techniques. Following Melissa Bartello's disappearance, the Long Island serial killer made the taunting phone calls to her 16-year-old sister, Amanda. He called Melissa a whore and asked if Amanda knew what Melissa was doing. These calls are always placed from the crowded areas such as New York's Penn Station and Madison Square Garden where it would have been next to impossible for surveillance cameras to single out the caller from the crowd. Moreover, the killer stayed on the line for under three minutes, indicating he knew it took three to five minutes to successfully uh, trace a phone call. Police are convinced the calls came from the killer as opposed to a prankster. Amid the investigation of the murder, Suffolk County Police Chief James Burke resigned, adding fuel to the rogue cop theory. Following his resignation, Burke was arrested for a 2012 assault on Christopher Loeb, who had stolen a duffel bag filled with pornography and sex toys from Burke's car. Interesting. After Burke's arrest, an escort came forward to claim he was into rough sex. She alleged that Burke had attempted to strangle her during a party in Oak Beach, the gated community where Gilbert was last seen alive. It then transpired that Burke had stymied an FBI investigation into the Long Island murders and intentionally kept um, them out of the loop. So what was he afraid of the FBI finding? 2016, an attorney for Shannon Gilbert's family alleged that there could be a connection between Burke and the murders, but he was never charged. Having been police chief, he certainly had friends. Another suspect in the slaying, slayings was Dr. Herbert Hackett a physician and neighbor of Joseph Brewer, one of the last people to see Shannon alive. Dr. Hackett lived close to the marshland where Shannon Gilbert's remains were found. According to Shannon's mother, Mary Gilbert, the Dr. Hackett had called her the day after Dawn went missing and told her he was a doctor who ran a home for wayward girls. Several days later, Dr. Hackett uh, denied he'd ever made the call. Phone records, though, confirmed he had, in fact, called Mary Gilbert twice following Shannon's disappearance. 2012, Shannon's family filed a wrongful death lawsuit against Dr. Hackett, which they allege he could have prevented her death. 
a wrongful death suit is brought by the representatives of the deceased estate sees compensation from the person held to be legally at fault for the deceased's death. Dr. Hackett told Mary Gilbert that he ran a home for wayward girls and that Shannon was in his care. That's according to John Ray, an attorney for the Gilbert family. Why would anybody do something like that, he wanted to know. Dr. Hackett was eventually ruled out as a suspect by Suffolk County Police, but by this time, the Suffolk County Police's credibility was in shambles. Joseph Brewer was also briefly a suspect since Shannon was last spotted fleeing from his home in a state of panic. He was also quickly ruled out when Suffolk County Police could find no evidence to tie him to any of the murders. For years, law enforcement remained tight-lipped on the notorious Long Island serial killer, but in 2017, the silence was at last broken. Suffolk County Assistant District Attorney Robert uh, Bianca Villa named a new suspect, Sean Bitroff, carpenter who was serving uh, two 25-to-life sentences for beating two sex workers, Rita Tangredi and Colleen McNamee, to death in uh, November 1993 and January 1994, respectively. Bitroff uh, lived in the hamlet of Manorville, where the torso of two of the Long Island Sibling Killers victims have been discovered. Bianca Villa alleged that some aspects of the evidence found over the years at Ocean Parkway were similar to the earlier crimes attributed to Bitroff. Evidence found at the crime scenes how didn't match any found at earlier crime scenes. It was impossible to conclusively link Bitroff to the murders, but that doesn't stop a DA from trying. Hypothetical profile of the killer was created by Jim Clemente, criminal profiler. Scott Bond, an assistant professor of sociology at Drew University, and Fred Klein, a former Nassau County assistant district attorney, they deduced the killer was likely a white male in his mid-20s to mid-40s, married, or had a girlfriend. He was intelligent and articulate, had a job that gave him access to burlap sacks, and he lived or had once lived near Ocean Parkway. Final aspect, or final suspect, rather, for... At least some of the murders attributed to the Long Island killer was a convicted serial killer named Joel Rifkin. Between the years of 1980 and 9 and 1993, he murdered at least nine women in New York and Long Island, disposing of some of their bodies in the same general area as the Long Island serial killer. But in an interview, he denied that any of the victims were his. He stated he dumped his victims hundreds of miles apart and not in the same location, something he called the Long Island serial killer sloppy for doing. On the fateful night of May 1st, 2010, Shannon Gilbert drove past the remote marshland where 10 victims of the Long Island uh, serial killer lay while en route to an escort call. The disturbing and mysterious events that unfolded over the forthcoming hours would forever link her to those bodies and sparked one of the most extensive murder investigations in Long Island history. Numerous newspapers and magazines, even a best-selling book called Lost Girls, and an episode in the television documentary series The Killing Season have all told the story of the ten bodies discovered along Ocean Parkway. Despite extensive media coverage, the case still remains unsolved and open. And there are currently six more unsolved murder cases being reviewed by police that may have links to the Long Island serial killer. Of course, my uh, belief would be that the uh, police chief may well have had something to do with it. But police 
tend to join ranks to protect their own, no matter who they are or what they've done. And certainly that can wind up uh, becoming a major issue. Uh, it's Timey's investigations, no question about that. So we've covered quite a number of uh, unsolved murder cases. That just shows you that the world is not the safe place we all tend to think it is. And over the years, more and more unsolved murders will come to light. Uh, and quite often, cases will be reopened because enthusiastic DAs will sometimes lie to juries to get their convictions because it looks good on their record and helps them become judges in their own right. And quite often, the judges have their own agenda rather than being an unbiased um, decider of the law. What, not what you say, but how you say it can have a major impact on a, um, the criminal conviction of an entirely innocent man. Look at Sam Shepard. Had anybody bothered before F. Lee Bailey came along to take what he said as true and investigate it from that point of view, it might have been solved. Um, and people kill for the strangest reasons. Um, the couple that Bailey and I decided committed the killing... Um, We believe the husband was having an affair with Mrs. Shepard. And the wife went in to give her what for. And caught the husband with Mrs. Shepard. And she was so outraged, she beat the woman to death. And her husband stood against the wall and said and did nothing. How do we know that? Because there is a void in the blood spatter on the wall. In the shape of a man. Well, on that note, we come to the end of today's show. Tomorrow we'll have a new topic. Until then, this is Ken Hudnall for the Ken Hudnall Show saying have a truly great evening.